What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. No! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is on the freeway. What's up, guys? Looking to choose podcast. My name is Salman Ali, at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. You're joined by Ali Khan Bajani of The Athletic. How are you doing, man? Good, good. Good to be back, man. Good to be talking basketball with you. So, full disclosure, I have a toothache, and I want to keep this podcast short because I don't want to talk too long. Uh, it hurts every time I open my mouth. It's like every time the air touches my tooth, and every time I drink water. So, it's been, it's been hell. It's been hell. I got to get that resolved. But for right now, we're just going to try to keep this podcast short, uh, and we're going to talk about our reactions to the press conference last week from mm-hmm. Rockets GM uh, Rafael Stone and head coach Steven Silas. So, first question I have for you. Uh, was this press conference illuminating for you? Like, did you feel like we knew a lot about these two guys going in? So I tried my best to reach out and talk to as many people as I could about Coach Silas. Um, Stone, I've had a, you know, he's been around the Rockets organization. So there's been times where you kind of get to know him and things like that. So I, 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 I knew him like at least a little bit. Um, but I, one thing in terms of roster construction is where I was really curious to learn more about because this was the first time we actually got to speak with him in a formal media setting and ask him questions to get his idea of what he's looking to do with the roster. And off the bat, one thing that was really interesting to me, Solomon, that I think that it wasn't really stood, and a lot of people that picked up on it was he said, or Kosala said that Stone is giving me the players I want to be successful, right? And what we saw with Maury and D'Antoni was that D'Antoni would just go with the flow and whatever Maury gave him, he would work with it. But with Stone, Stone's but, legitimately uh, asking him what he wants and what he what he, what kind of players he wants to be successful. And that includes having a, a possible center. I, I, ju- I just want to stop you there for a second because I think D'Antoni was more involved in the roster than he, gave, he tipped his hand at. Like I, I, I think he was definitely involved in the conversations. For example, like oh no, I agree. But like yeah. it, it just the, the fact that it was formally said like that that was just interesting to me compared yeah. to what we usually hear. Like you said, Dan Tony, you're right. Dan Tony never really talked like it, but he was definitely involved. And you and I both talked to players who said one of their biggest reasons for coming was because Coach Dan Tony recruited them. So I, yeah. I, I 100 like get that. I'm just saying, like just to hear it that way from the general manager and the coach was just really interesting to be so blunt about their relationship like that. Uh, some breaking news: Jeff Hornacek is going to join the Rockets coaching staff. So we're it's, we're getting kind of sidetracked. But I mean, what's your reaction to that? 
I think that's good. Um, it provides a veteran coaching presence, somebody um, who can really do some good work with Steven Silas. Um, I've been paying attention to when Jeff Hornacek was a coach and kind of what he did offensively. And I think there, there are some themes that we can kind of see that Steven Silas is kind of putting together when it comes to guard ball handling. And, and what I mean by that is just not just spacing and play, but also making sure that people are in, pos- in positions not only in the half court, but in transition. That sort of concept, I think, is really important for this Rockets team, especially for a veteran team. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's exciting. I think if you're a Rockets fan, you're, you're happy to see that you bring in a veteran go- a coach to be able to kind of complement uh, what you have with Coach Silas, who's already offensive genius in his own right. Yeah, and I just want to attribute this correctly. This is from Mark Berman of Fox 26. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen... As soon as Steven Silas was, was announced as the coach, I, I knew they were going to try to pr- like stack the coaching staff with as much veterans as they as they could because th- that's what you do. That's that's what NBA teams do when they go with the first time head coach. That's what the Thunder did when they hired Billy Donovan. Uh, that's what the Celtics did when they hired Brad Stevens. Like you, you try and stack that roster with as much veterans as you can. So just just so the guy, then you guys not shaken. Just like he, just so he knows how the NBA head coaching realm works. You know, yeah, even being in the second seat is totally different from being in the head seat. And I, I think this helps him. I think uh, Jeff Hornacek's, uh, you know, a decent hand to have on your coaching staff. Uh, I, I think they definitely wanted to stack this this uh, coaching staff with some veterans and, you know, ha- bring John Lucas back and bringing uh, Jeff Hornacek up, on. Is, is, I, think it's, I think it's a good thing for the, for the staff. You know, I you think know, it what? helps. No, uh, 100%. I think what's really interesting to me is that Horn Hornacek's teams, especially when if we go back to his days in Phoenix, his his Phoenix teams were usually the top transition team in the NBA. Um, and so so that's interesting to me that they're bringing a guy not only who who is used to, you know, running with a younger team and being a younger team coach, but then you bring in a guy also who's clearly somebody who as a coach what likes to push the pace so so from that and also kind of what we were starting off the podcast with talking about what we noticed the fact that coach Salas is really big into transition tempo and pace I mean that's not something that's new but the fact that they're kind of going more into it is really really interesting yeah and also Jeff Hornacek's a guy they interviewed for the head coaching job in 2016 like if you notice a lot of the guys that they're hiring out of the staff are guys they interviewed uh, for the head coaching staff at one point. Uh, Steven mm-hmm. Stylus, uh, John Lucas, Jeff Hornacek, these are all guys they've interviewed before. And this is why you do a wide net coaching search because you can eventually, even if you're not going to hire the guy for a head coaching position, you might eventually down the line want to bring him on to a, a coaching staff. And I think uh, that you know th- th- that it helps that they had that, re- that relationship already established. Um, so going back to the press conference... For the most part, press conferences like this are a little predictable and we don't really learn much. I don't think that was the case with this presser. Uh, sure, we got a little a little bit of fluff that we usually do for something like this, but for the most part, I thought it was pr- a pretty informative. And, and shout out to the Houston media for asking direct and sometimes tough questions. Like, I feel like we learned a lot on Thursday. And I think, you know, obviously some of that is because we don't know these guys, right? Like, we just... This is the first time meeting these both both these guys in a in a interview setting. So I think uh, we were going to get a lot more information because of that in the in the first place. On top of that, I thought the Houston media was on top of that. So shout out to them. Like for example, like Rafael Stone has been pretty deeply ingrained in decision making for like eight years now, 
And I yeah. think the conventional wisdom going in was that Stone was the Stanford lawyer that had, that was with the team for a while and was now being promoted to the front office. And clearly that wasn't the case. Uh, this guy has a lot of experience working with Daryl Morey. One of the first things Tad Brown said in his opening remarks was that they intentionally picked him because they wanted that continuity of thought. And um, listen, like I, I still think Stone has a lot to prove. Uh, and he's stepping into uh, some giant shoes. And I think it is still an indictment that ownership let Daryl Morey walk to another title contender. But Stone's background and involvement with the team is more impressive than I think I might have given him credit for. And there's a strong possibility that he ends up being a good general manager anyways, despite the fact that they let Morey walk. Uh, no, I, I, I agree as well. And I, I think what's interesting to me about Stone is the comment he made where he said that he and Morey have different perspectives. Um, but those perspectives usually led them towards the same answer. And I think right. that's, 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 that's something good that you want um, you you want to end up kind of with the same answers uh, because clearly that you're you know you're working with a similar guy in James Harden, but having a different frame of thinking and perspective there in charge possibly may yield better results for this team. Yeah, I don't know about that. Listen, like you're replacing one of the best general managers in the league. <laughs> like like odds are, like just in general, whoever they hired, even if they went out and they got Mike Zarin from the Celtics, right? Who for some for some reason just will not do interviews uh even though he is definitely one of the best gm candidates uh on the market uh but even if they went out and got him like mm-hmm. they odds are they were going to take a step down just because daryl was that good right like yeah like, no i agree i agree yeah. like where you're starting from and where you go where you're going it's just that's just where that's just the odds but uh it, it it is good that as you said like they did end up coming to the same conclusions and that you know, you want someone coming to the same conclusions as Daryl Morey. Like, Daryl Morey's really, really good. Uh, and he's a really smart guy. And I think it's good that they're keeping Eli Wittes on. So they're not losing analytics. And I, I suspect they're probably, you know, not right now, but later on throughout the year, they're going to try and hi- to make some front office hires to, you know, surround uh, Rafael with some more experienced hands, especially because they've lost a lot of talent over the last uh, three years. Just, just a lot of talent's been hired in other places like, Gerson Rosas got hired by the Timberwolves. Monty McNair got hired by the Kings. You know, like like th- their front office has been kind of drained of talent. So I think they're definitely going to go and try and find some guys to help them surround Rafael. But it is good that uh, they did go out and find someone who thinks similar to Maury, you know? You know, I, 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 I do think that, you know, I, I'm going to reserve my judgment until we start free agency. For sure. Um, Obviously, someone you and I both know. Yes, you can win. You can win the press conference, but you need to also kind of back it up with how you approach roster construction, and that's why for me, I'm I'm reserving all my judgment. Well, not really judgment, but I'm just reserving how I feel about what the Rafael Stone experiment will be once we get into roster construction. Once we get into what he thinks and what the coaching staff thinks is the best roster to surround James Harden with, because in my personal opinion. I mean, this could be the last. I mean, I don't, it's not a hot take, someone, but this could be the last year we see James Harden in a Houston Rockets uniform. And you need to, and if you're discussing going all in, this is your shot. What do you think is the best roster you can put around James Harden in Houston to put him in a successful position to be successful in the playoffs? Um, and that's what I'm going to be looking out for in the next uh, month or two. Yeah, listen, the Sharks are starting to swarm the ship, right? Like Daryl already inquired about James Harden. And uh, I definitely agree. Like, if they don't make it at least to the conference finals this year, 
Like James Harden's a serious flight risk, and you, and you definitely have to you have to nail this offseason. And that's not I'm not just saying that because Stone was the gen, Stone's the general manager. I said that when Daryl was the general manager, yeah. right? Like yes. th- this offseason is so can't miss, and they need to, to surround Harden with the requisite talent to make a deep playoff run for the first time in two years. Oh, uh, by the way, I, I mispronounced his name at the press conference, and I realized it like two minutes later. I called him Raphael. And I really, I, I understand now that it's pronounced Rafael. So Rafael, if you're listening, I never know who from the Rockets is listening to this stuff, but I apologize for that. That's my bad. It won't happen again. God he knows you on Twitter, right? He probably will be listening. Why not? Yeah. I mean, listen, God knows I get my name mispronounced from time to time. Uh, so I understand the pain, uh, e- even by some in the Rockets organization, by the way. Uh, let, let me tell you all this, guys, for, for our listeners there. I've never heard somebody's name more mispronounced by anyone than Solman's name. It's not that hard. It's Solman. But I hear his name called Salmon all the time. And it makes absolutely no sense. Do people just ignore the L in your name, bro? I have no idea. And that's not the only way people mispronounce it, man. It, like people, people add letters. Like I've been called Solomon before. I've been called <laughs> Sal, Salmon before. Listen, Salmon, I'm actually not that bad with my name, and I don't have a problem with it, right? Like so, sometimes it's hard to pronounce uh, names that aren't in your dialect, so I don't, I don't have a problem with that. But in general, at least, at least get the L, right? At least get the L. Like if you're gonna say my name. Um, but, but yeah, I, I apologize to Rafael, uh, that it won't happen again. Uh, I, I got it down now. I think it's going to take me some time, uh, to get used to it, but you know, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it. So, uh, Ali Khan, what, what is, what else is something you learned from this press conference? You know, I, so I asked, and this is probably one of the biggest reasons I wanted to talk to you today is I asked him the question I asked, cause he kept talking about strengths and, and using, um, and letting James Harden and Russell Westbrook be them. And, I, I hate to say it, but that's probably the most cliche thing I can hear because everybody will say that, oh, you want them to be them. But what does be them mean? What does it mean to play to their strengths? I was just really curious and uh, what, what he had to say. So when I asked him, he talked about the fact that their, their strengths is really playing in transition. And my question specifically was how they play together because someone I really do believe this. And I mean, it's not, it's not a hot take. It's not a hot take either, but I think it, sometimes we don't think about it too much in terms of how we approach the Rockets. In the NBA, your best starting five wins, which is kind of the biggest reason why they went to small ball in the first place. But if your best five wins, your best five has to include both James Harden and Russell Westbrook. You can't be in a position where Russell Westbrook is the worst player in your best five, if that makes sense. And because of that, I really wanted to know what is what is his mindset about how they can play well together. And he brought up a couple different things. Number one, transition, um, being able to push the pace, make those skip ahead passes. I think that's something that's been lost in this Rockets transition offense. It's been very inconsistent. We see flashes of that where they're looking ahead and, and they're kind of passing it ahead. But I, I, I don't think Coach Silas is talking about James Harden throwing a 75-foot pass to the rim. I think he's more so talking about, all right, run the rails, James or Russ pass it to each other across half court and then find the open guy. Not James Harden just heave a pass to the guy and maybe call the turnover. That was one thing. The second thing he really said that was interesting was that when teams are doubling James, he's going to be instituting specific actions or triggers um, to be able to you know, cause a defense to not necessarily isolate their defense and, and, and uh, you know, di- diverge their defense towards James. 
you want to make sure that you're kind of keeping that weak side def- uh, defense occupied. And I'm really curious to see what they're going to do on offense, especially with that, to make sure that that secondary defender is not in position. What we saw in the Lakers series and why the Lakers were so effective against Russell Westbrook and James Harden was they sent that second double team or they sent the second defender for the double team from random spots of the floor each possession. It wasn't from the same spot. So James had to take at least two seconds to calculate what to do next. And because of that, it took the, it put the whole offense out of rhythm. And so I'm curious to see, okay, if teams will continue to do that, which you and I both know they will, what are some of those triggers he's t- talking about that he's going to put him and, I mean, sorry, James and Russ in a position to be successful and not have to face double teams as much, or at least when they do, be more prepared than they are to tackle them. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire, with 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the most important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more qualified candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. All right, football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, and the, the big takeaway here is like he's going to institute more ball and body movement, right? And yeah. like there's going to be there's going to be an action before James gets the ball or before Russ gets the ball. And you know, that's something I think this offense has been lacking and especially in the postseason. Like in the regular season, you can get away with James Harden isolate five shooters around him or four shooters around him and let him go to work. You you're, you're going to get a top 5 offense in the regular season. But in the postseason consistently, and I wrote about this in my newsletter, especially in crunch time, their offense takes a dip. And I think that's because offenses, I'm sorry, defenses t- uh, get used to defending James, right? And they get used to the way he wants to play. And they get used to the way the Rockets want to play. And it just becomes so predictable. And there, there's a need for variance there. And I thought whoever the head coach was going to be, even if it was Mike D'Antoni, I thought they needed to add more ball and body movement uh, to the team. Their offense had just become, like, as they got more and more away from pick and roll, they just got so cuddled to isolation basketball. And listen, isolation basketball is really effective with someone like James Harden in a space floor. Don't get me wrong, but you need more than that. It can't just be like once you're in the half court, okay, now we isolate. Like, like th- that just can't be your only two options. It can't just be transition or isolate. There has to be other stuff. 
And I think, you know, again, even if Mike D'Antoni was coming back, I, I thought he was capable of adding this kind of stuff in because, you know, if you look at Phoenix, right, like like Phoenix did a lot of ball and body movement. It, it, it just, it just kind of, like Mike D'Antoni evolved as a coach when he came to Houston yeah. and, and kind of catered to James Harden. And I thought he was capable of adding in this stuff, but now Steven Silas has to add in this stuff. And uh, it's going to be interesting because it, it, it's it's something I do believe holds them back in the postseason. You know, you know, what's really interesting to me when I look at Steven Silas is that he really wants these guys to be versatile. And I think you, you, you talked about it earlier, but not just on offense, but on defense as well. And Salman, you and I both tweeted this out uh, because we both, obviously, it's up to both of us. He's going to try to make this defense a lot more unpredictable. What we notice, especially the last few years, is you can you can switch. But my theory is with the new rules that we have, um, and with the refereeing pointing with the referee point of emphasis, it's much harder to be physical on these switches. And the reason why the Rockets were so successful the year they went to the Western Conference Finals was because they were so aggressive in guiding the switch, using their hands to be able to move the move the offensive players to where they wanted to on the defensive end. And now you can't do that as much, number one. Number two, you just don't have the necessary defenders to be able to play at the point of attack. They can't just play switch all the time because they're going to get burned. And then even then, they don't have the best help defense to rotate. They don't have the best rotation defenders on the team to be able to make a difference. So like with that James mind, Harden got fouled out like six times in the, in the postseason. I'm, you I'm, can't exa- have that happen. I'm, you can't I'm exaggerating, have that happen. right? Yeah, like, I, but it, it was definitely like a problem in the postseason when they tried to be aggressive on defense. So do you, do you think zone will work? Yeah, I, 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 that's what I was going to say. I, I think they're going to try and sprinkle in some zone, because that's what other teams are doing, right? Like teams are starting to throw in. Like this is a new trend in the NBA. Like I think Brad Stevens or Nick Nurse is one of those two coaches was the first to try this out. And it's it it was effective, and you and I see I saw coaches like Taylor Jenkins or the, the the Grizzlies try this out too. Like sprinkle in some zone just for like a couple of minutes, just to shake things up to keep the keep the offense on its heels. And I think it really messes with people, man. Like if you look at the way it messed with the Rockets, like it 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 definitely threw them out of out of a loop on against the Lakers, right? When the Lakers uh, played a little bit of zone, like I think I think you know stuff like that, some creativity. I think I think. It could be helpful. I I still think they could switch everything. To be honest, like I I don't think that's I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to keep trying to switch everything defensively. But it's much harder now, and I think um, Silas is someone who wants to change that. Like I I think he he wants to he wants to make them in general more unpredictable as a team, which I think is probably a good thing. No, I agree, especially when, with a veteran team like this. I, I I do have two things to say. First and first, I want to bring up the concept of switching. Um, when it comes to the Rockets, there's a reason why they switch. They're not, they're not a, uh, unless you have Russell Westbrook and James Harden buy in, you're not going to be able to execute whatever defensive scheme you want. They have to be on board with it, which is why they've been switching as much as they have because James Harden loves to switch and it's a strength to be able to play in the post. Number one, number two, I talked to a Western conference assistant coach last year. Cause this is, this is when the Rockets had gone through a few games where they had played a lot of zone. And I asked, why, why zone? Why is zone and box and one and all these different, um, at, you know, just types of defenses putting teams out of rhythm? And he said, well, it's because ball handlers get comfortable going in a certain direction. And when you take away that direction and you force them to be facilitators instead of scorers, it takes them a few minutes to readjust. And during those few minutes, if you can capitalize on the other end, 
it really does show its benefit, especially analytically. So teams are, like you said, Salman, teams are using those few minutes to put the offense on their heels. But on the other end, they're making sure that they're capitalizing with the scoring. And if they can do so, it really does provide an advantage to them about getting back into a game or kind of pushing a lead or extending a lead a little bit more. And I think with the, with the type of roster you at least have right now, I'm not saying it's going to be this way after for agency, but what you have right now, I don't think going zone for five to 10 possessions a game is a bad idea. They're not going to look drastically different, right? Just, just because the roster makeup suits them perfectly well to play this specific style, but there is going to be definitely some tweaks there. And I think that's a good thing. I think like, again, like, predictability was a problem. Like I, I think I think we learned that. I think the more teams saw the Rockets, the more they learned them and the more they understood them and the more it was easier to defend them. And I think you want to try and, you know, ne- you know, negate some of that. Another big takeaway from the press conference, I mean, you touched on it earlier, it seems like they're going to taper off the microball a little bit. And I asked Rafael Stone about this, like, you know, because this was a major thing they did at the trade deadline. They traded away Clint Capella for... Robert Covington and they did they did not try to attempt to add a big to the roster midseason. You know, they had Jordan Bell for a few for like a hot cup of coffee and then they traded him for Bruno Caboclo, right? Like they really leaned into this hard. And I think they found that they like having just a big there to be a lob threat, to be someone you can play with James Harden, just so like they can run some pick and roll again. Like pick and roll is a good thing. Having pick and roll in your offense is a good thing. And I think they missed that, and I think I think they they're they're gonna search out like a fifteen minute big. I don't know if they can necessarily afford to start like a rim runner again, just because of the floor spacing. But I think you know with Russ on the bench, you can afford to have like a rim running big out there, and you know be able to catch lobs for Harden, and you know uh, keep the centers on their heels a little bit and you can floor space in a a number of different ways, including that rim running threat. And I think, I think they miss, I think they missed that a little bit. Uh, And, and, you know, I, I have, I hypothesized that they were going to lean into micro ball uh, even more this off season. And, you know, they might, but I think they also want at least one traditional big out there. So it's going to be interesting what, what kind of big they chase, you know, like, and, and if they can acquire someone like Serge Ibaka, for example, who's, really dynamic and really versatile and can actually stretch the floor for you if that player starts because Ibaka is good enough to start even with Russ because he can space the floor. But if they don't acquire someone like Ibaka, does that mean they go after someone like a Nerland's Noel type? I'm I my my theory is that that player will only play like 10 to 15 minutes a game off the bench. But those can be a valuable 10 to 15 minutes off the be- off the bench because those can be uh, minutes where the Rockets are re- winning the rebounding battle and where the Rockets are getting lob threats and where the Rockets are in transition a little bit more because New Orleans can run the floor. Uh, Steven you know- Silas is, has great experience kind of managing the game, and, and I don't see um, him not doing what D'Antoni did in staggering Rust and James. And if that does happen, I agree. Those 10 to 15 minutes when it's James Harden only minutes, you need to have a rim runner. And – it's not just about the vertical spacing. It's about the angle of the screens. When you have a big setting high pick and roll screens, it allows you to do a lot more damaging things inside the paint versus if you do pick and pop. And I think that's an asset that the Rockets desperately missed whenever they just had Tucker or Covington running pick and pops. Or they could sometimes counter that by having slips. 
But having a hard rim runner there forces a third defender to come and rotate, especially when you do high pick and roll. And if a team is going to trap, you want to make sure that you get a five. Hopefully, if Nerlens can develop into a good passer like that, we can make that short roll to the corner. I mean, I, that's why I think for me, a guy like Jeff Green is even more important to bring back because you saw that chemistry there. Yes, the defense sometimes will give you a mixed bag. But the fact that you have a rim running threat there, even if you can bring in a center like that, is really important. Another area of uh, interest that the Rockets touched upon this press conference was the luxury tax, right? And this is something I think they should be asked until they pay it, right? Like I think yes. I think the, the media has an obligation to keep asking this question until they pay. They might get annoyed, right? Like, and it, it is not upon us to appease them when we ask them these kind of questions. Like, listen, they have not paid the luxury tax since Tillman Fertitta bought the team. It's a fair question to ask, will they ever pay the luxury tax? And Rafael Stone said that, you know, according to him, that's never been a problem with Tillman, right? But I, I can't help but feel like that that is a canned answer that we've heard for the past two or three years. Well, Solman, this is, this is my thing. You and I talked about this earlier. The, the writing's on the wall. If this is James Harden's last year here in Houston, and if you don't go over the luxury tax... When will you ever go over the luxury tax in the Tillman Fertitta era, era of the Rockets? I just don't see it. If you don't go over luxury tax this year, when will you go over luxury tax? Yeah, and this idea that they were trying to avoid the hard cap by not using their full mid-level exception. Like, listen, like, yes, there's a practical element of that. But I can't help but feel like we've heard that answer before, right? Like, I, I, you, at some point, you just have to, to cough up the money and pay the luxury tax. Like you can't keep dodging it every year and and talk about, "Oh, we don't want to pay the repeater tax." Or, "Oh, we don't we don't want to be hard capped, so we remove our flexibility midseason." Well, listen, you don't have many draft picks to make many trades midseason. At this point, the best way you can improve the roster is by signing people. And if that's the case, you have to use that full mid-level exception, or at least the taxpayer mid-level exception and go into the tax. Right? Because listen, like that taxpayer could be valuable. Like you signed Daniel House to part of your taxpayer with a low exception. That's good value. You can't get that by s- surrounding your current core with minimum contracts. It's just not going to work. I-, I saw that Rafael Stone did an interview with uh, with Jonathan Fagan, and he talked about using that minimum uh, that minimum exception to their benefit. And I'm just like, yeah, listen, like. At some point, you're just going to max out the kind of player you can get with that. Like, yeah, every once in a while, you might land a Luke Mbamute or a Jeff Green or whatever, right? But those are few and far between catches. And more often than not, those are players that can't really help you that much. So I think you, if you're Houston and you want to maximize your offseason, you, you spend that full tax variable level exception. And perhaps even like, listen, like this is an idea I heard from Adam Spolane when I had him on this podcast. Like, Go ahead and pay Austin Rivers, you know, more than uh, the minimum contract because then you can use that contract as trade fodder. Even if you don't want Austin Rivers on the roster, or if even if he's like a bad fit, like it might be smart to go ahead and sign him to like a, like a two or three year deal. That's a little bit of a balloon payment, but it's something you can use in trade at the uh, trades at the deadline, right? Like yeah. th- this is the kind of creative stuff you need to do if you're the Rockets, and the only way you can do creative stuff like this is if you pay the luxury tax. I, I also see an argument, though, Solomon. I, I don't disagree with whatever you're saying. I also see an argument for not getting hard-capped. And I see a great argument with that. 
And I see even greater argument with what Mr. Stone was saying about the veteran minimum. That's huge. I mean, I agree you can't expect to land treasures in each one of your signings, but there are still guys who want to play with Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Russell Westbrook has a narrative around the league as being one of the best teammates in the league, and he's able to recruit that way. James Harden has a narrative around the league as being somebody who will put you in a position to catch and score and you know increase your contract value. That's not going anywhere. That being said, with what's what's going on with LA, Lakers and Clippers, what's going on with the Warriors, are the Rockets going to be in the running to get a veteran guy to come play with them for the minimum? Yeah, I don't or, think so. I think it's gonna be extremely competitive. And all those all those teams that you just mentioned, this is gonna be my next point. All those teams are using their mid level exception. Guaranteed. Or they're at least saving it, right? And they're planning on using it. With the the Rockets are going to be competing in a free agency class where there are no star players. So the the, the big prizes are going to be these role players, right? The Jay Crowders of the I think world. You use, I think you use the mid-level exception partially and you save the rest of it for the buyout market during the season. I think that may be the smart move to go. Or listen, like if that line comes in a little higher than you know you were expecting, maybe you use the biannual, right? At, yeah. at the, like, like, and this, this, again, this is the kind of window you open up if you're willing to pay the tax, and that's a big, that's a big if. Like, listen, like the, it's gonna, it's going to be hard for them to dodge the tax. That's an important element of this conversation. Like, right, yes. the, their mm-hmm. fine, their financials are set up in such a way to where they are probably going to pay the tax. But if they trade away a guy, they can still dodge it if they really want to. And that's kind of what, like, if you're a Rockets fan, that's kind of what I'd, I'd be on high alert for. Like, what if they do trade a, a helpful player? and try to get out of the luxury tax this year. One thing I will say, and I think it's going to be benefit to the Rockets and their pursuit of going into luxury tax, is Stylus went out of his way in multiple questions to mention Eric Gordon. And Eric Gordon's your easiest ticket to get under the luxury tax. But the fact that Silas is out there, I mean, yes, 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 I understand. Press conference doesn't mean Jack. But the fact that he went out of his way and some of these answers when the question wasn't even about Eric to bring up Eric Gordon, I think is showing that he wants him to stay and he wants him to play with his team. I have no idea what's going on with Eric Gordon, like especially this offseason. Like, I don't know if he's going to stay. I don't know if he's going to get traded. I suspect that his contract is so toxic for other teams or that other teams will at least try to paint it as, to- as toxic enough to where he's probably not going to be tradable. So I suspect they're probably going to have to keep him. Uh, because they just don't have any draft picks to try and move him uh, because his contract took that much of a hit where like you have to attach draft picks. You know, it's, there's there's two points that relate to this I do want to mention. Um, the first is the way Silas talked about specific things on offense, it really gives me the impression that he's going to try to persuade James Harden, he, albeit the Herculean task it is, to get, have him give up the ball more than he has in the last several seasons. And what I mean by that is having a point guard, whether it be a backup shooting point guard or whatever the case may be that they haven't had since around 2015, 2016, to really take the load off of James Harden from bringing the ball up. Now you can say, well, Ali Khan, you have Russell Westbrook or you, and James Harden can bring it up himself. Yes, that's true. But especially off the bench, when James Harden's in the game, you want the ball in his hands, but you also want a capable ball handler to make it easier for them. And I think the great example of that is what you're seeing right now with the Clippers and that they're 
their need for a ball handler to help Kawhi and Paul George. The Lakers having Rondo to set up LeBron and AD. I think, yes, James is a point guard in his own right. Russell Westbrook is a point guard as well. But it's helpful to have another ball handler to make it easier on them and allow them to do some of the things that Silas envisions off the ball with movement, relocation, things that you will definitely see as a Rockets fan this season compared to the last several years. But in order for that to happen, you need to have a good, prominent backup guard who can play in that point guard role. And I do think that's something to watch, especially in free agency. Can I ask you a question that I've been kind of floating to other people that come on this podcast? Yeah. Is Russell Westbrook good enough to be the second best player on a championship team? Yes. Yes. I think he can be. The thing for me with Russ, and, and I know a lot of people are like, why, why are people talking about this? People are talking about it. But even then, he still played a pretty awful postseason um, to his standards. I'm not going to say he was awful totally. But to his standards and what the Rockets needed and what he had been during the season, it was not the Russell Westbrook that we had seen, especially when they were turning that corner in January, February, March. Um, and, and, and so if we, get, if we get that, if we see that in a Rockets uniform, if you're a Rockets fan, you're excited because that guy was getting to the paint at will. He was getting past the first defender. And I think the way Steven Stiles wants to play, play offense, that's going to be an asset for them to be able to make moves and, and, and be able to kind of find their shooters that they're going to do. Uh, to be able to hit threes. We, people forget, at one point last year, he was leading the league in passes to the corner. I mean, he's still really, really good when healthy, when in rhythm, when you know, when getting to the rim. And I think if he can just get back to that and stay healthy, and people also forget this, this is his first offseason where he's been healthy. He actually has a chance to work on his game. Now, will he work on his shooting? Will he work on different things? We don't know. We'll have to wait and see when the season starts, when training camp starts in less than three weeks. But... He's had a whole offseason to be able to work on his game and work on something that he thinks will help him in this next stage of his career. So I'm excited to see what he's going to do. And I do think that he's capable of being the second best player in the championship team. Yeah, let's, we'll see. Like, like to me, like the two biggest questions I have about the Rockets is number one, that. And number two, will they spend the tax and try to get some versatile defenders? Because that's really what's holding them back, right? Like if we're really talking about what's holding the Rockets back, from getting to that next level, it's their defense. And Silas mentioned it at the press conference. Like he talked about them being a 15th ranked defense last season. And, and, and they I, need Soma, to be. I do, I do want to say this as well. I know people will come out and say, well, no, Solomon, their offense is also bad. Yes, they're good. But James Harden doesn't move the ball. He doesn't shoot mid range. doesn't matter. In the playoffs, Silas will add a few things to make it work. But their offense has not and was not and will not be the problem. And as Solomon said, it's, it's going to come down to their defense. If their defense is not a top five level defense, they are not going to submit the championship. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't even think it needs to be top five. It needs to be like at least top 10. Because like the year they won 65 games, they were like seventh or sixth, right? Like if if your offense is good enough, you can get away with seventh or sixth, right? And I think you need to get to that level. Like that, that's a hard jump, by the way. Going from 15th to like ninth is really hard. But... That's the only thing holding them back. These other teams, like the Clippers, the Lakers, the the Raptors, the Celtics, like all these teams are in top ten in defense, and they're all they are they're all making deep playoff runs. Well, why is why is that? It's because they have a really good defense. They have something to lean back on when the shots aren't falling, when when things aren't going, you know, all the way that you need it to be on offense. They have something to yep. fall back on. Their defense. Yep. One hundred percent. Well, listen, this is really fun. My tooth is really starting to hurt, so I don't want to talk too much longer. But uh, Ali Khan, do you have anything to plug? And do you have anything 
uh, that you want to talk about before we head before we head out of here. Do you know what time you should go get your uh, toothache checked? At two thirty. Okay, sorry, that was a really bad joke. Um, I'm not plugging my joke skills, but I am plugging that I'm working on a film room piece on Steven Silas. I, I guess people are not really going to pay attention to me saying anything after that really bad joke, huh? <laughs> I'm sorry, I zoned out. I, I I don't quite understand the joke, but I'm just going to move on past it. All right, all right, buddy. I'm going to do you a favor. We're not going to talk about it. We're just going to pretend like that never happened. Uh, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Give me five stars on iTunes if you really enjoyed the show because it helps uh, other people find the show. And yeah, guys, good night.